Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, your opportunity in 30 minutes or less to get one proven idea to help run a more successful and sustainable business. As always, we have a professional with us, somebody who I think you're going to enjoy and bring a different, a slightly different perspective about business than a lot of our guests. He is intense. He's super bright. Wicked smart is probably a better way to describe him. He, he likes to laugh and, and combined, he's hyper competitive. He's an OU, Ohio University Bobcat, and somebody that uh, I've gotten to know over the last three, four years much better than I, I've known him probably 15 years, but I've only gotten to know him really pretty well over the last three or four. His name is Chad Estes. Chad, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our 30 minutes here. So let's let's roll. You are the EVP, I think, now of Legends. Is that correct? Is that title accurate? That's correct. All right. And and tell people who Legends is and what an EVP does at Legends. Sure. Well, well, Legends was formed about 10 years ago and initially as a hospitality company. The the owners of the Yankees and the Cowboys came together. So two pretty good brands. When they were building their new facilities, thought, hey, we we might like a concession offering that's a little better than what the industry had at that time. Uh, let's create a company around it. So at first it was a hospitality business. And then we've morphed into all kinds of other things. My big role in it was establishing what's now called Legends Global Sales, which is an outsourced sales solution for the sports industry. And primarily if someone's renovating or building something new and they've got a ton of risk and they're putting big capital outlays out there and they want some people that have some good expertise to come in, boots on the ground and maximize revenue. That's what that global sales division does. But we've really gotten to the point, Ed, where where in that scenario, if somebody's building something new in the sports entertainment industry, we have a whole set of services to offer that owner to help them along in that project. Do you have competition as such, or is it really they an organization chooses to do this themselves versus using you? Or, or do you have other people who, who, who do what you guys do at Legends? It's a really good question. We uh, in There's six main service offerings from within Legends, again, my focus being the sales area, uh, each division has a different set of competitors. No group out there has put the whole, what we call 360 degree solution together the way we have. And sometimes we offer that entire thing. There's really good synergies amongst it. But yes, there's competitors in in each individual division. And certainly sometimes owners will go at it alone. We're, we're certainly finding though that with, you know, with $2 billion well, heck, in LA, upwards to a $5 million football stadium, owners feel a little better having some people that have been there, done that, than, than going at it alone. <laughs> You're, are you are you an insurance policy or are you a risk mitigation business? Is that how do you? That, that is one of the best questions I've been asked. I, I will say in a business development meeting to an owner of a professional sports team, for what you pay us and what we deliver, you will lay your head on the pillow at night and sleep more soundly. I mean, it's really that. I mean, not not that people couldn't do this on their own. I like to believe whatever someone's paying us to do this, we've found that extra revenue we've driven that we've we've saved on cost on the project development side. And you know, net net, they're just better off. And we and then really what we're what we're also doing, Ed, is 
we're, we're leaving them with a long stream of rev contractually obligated revenue, often 10 to 20 year streams. And then we can hand that back to the, the organization and say, run with it from there. I would guess that there has been plenty of times that organizations outside of professional sports have come to you and say, help us do a version of what you've done for professional sports teams to help mitigate the risk we share in our world. Is, is that true or not? Is that, is that wrong? It's true. Uh, you know, I would say we've gotten outside of professional sports and on, but on the fringes, I think what we figured out is what we know can apply to some other things. Those other things are things like collegiate fundraising, for example. So we're assisting Ohio State on how they manage their general fund for fundraising because fundraising, as you know, fundraising and sales are closely aligned. We've also got into the attraction space. So an example of that is we operate the top of the World Trade Center. We have uh, an experience called One World Observatory that we invested in and created with the developer and the Port Authority. And, and the reason why we actually, just a real quick random story, we saw in the New York Times that the developer of the World Trade Center was looking for someone to operate this top of the building experience. And 22 companies had submitted for the RFP. And we read that and we said, well, wait a minute, we know how to market things, sell things, service things, provide a hospitality experience. So we thought there's no difference than the top of the World Trade Center to AT&T Stadium in, in some degree. And we won that. We won that. And that, that put us into the attraction space. We now operate seven of them. So we fi we're finding some other things outside of the core sports stadium and arena space. I have so many questions I want to ask you, and we have such a, a short time to do it. So I'm, I'm going to say this for a second uh, visit to our podcast. If you'll you'll indulge us, hopefully uh, at some point in the future, I'm going to hold off. Let me go down this path. Results matter more in the professional sports world at all levels, more than any other industry I've been around. Do you share that perception or is that a misperception on my part? I don't know if I would completely align with that. I think it's uh, based on the owners, really. I mean, we're, we're, we are in some sense, these individual, um, it's like large brands with high equity value, enterprise value is what I wanted to say, but sometimes are operated like small family businesses. And because it, on, as an individual business, you, you have, you might, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers okay. who I worked for for a long time, that's Dan Gilbert's other business. And they're no longer toys though. I mean, they used to say back in the day, well, someone became wealthy, they bought a professional sports team to kind of mess around. You know, those days are over because these things are worth, you know, one to $5 billion. So um, they're being operated as businesses. You know, what, what I would say is what we get into with the competitive results driven, you know, vibe that you may have gotten from me over time is so many people want to work in sports. There's way more people that want to work in sports than there is good jobs in sports. And that creates the scenario of it's hard to get in, then it's then you want to make sure you stay in, and then you want to make sure if you're a, a career climber, you you rise up. And that's often just a very competitive environment um, because of the demand pushed onto the industry by people's desire to work in it. L let me ask it a different way then. Is it more competitive on the field or off the field? <laughs> yeah, I, it, you know, it's almost maybe equally both. The The good part about the business side, and, and there's a pretty clear line drawn. I, I have operated on the business side of sports. People will say, well, what do you do for the Cowboys? And one thing I make it clear is I have nothing to do with the football team. Maybe if we were winning more at times, I would say I did. But no, <laughs> I, I made a decision long ago. I'm going to work on the business side uh, of sports. 
And so one good thing about the business side of sports is your peers across the industry were not really competing off the field. The Dallas Cowboys are generating, you know, a regional revenue stream. We compete with the Mavericks and the Rangers for some of that. But when I call my counterpart at, at the Philadelphia Eagles, for example, even though we hope they lose every game, you know, by a lot of points, when we talk about the business side, we're sharing ideas and collaborating and trying to make, make each other better. Our producer Sean just uh, just uh, jumped on the screen as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and and I I wish I could tell the, the those of you on the uh, on the other side of this broadcast what he's been doing. But that that aside, so it's a fairly collegial environment off the field as far as with other teams and and so forth. Definitely, because the industry's small, you get to know people over your careers, and it feels like a really kind of tight knit group, and and it. Honestly, Ed, it's it's just fun. I, you know, I, I've I've had a chance to walk into businesses over my career because we sell to everybody else, you know, and every type of business. You know, I worked in Detroit and got a full taste of, you know, the auto uh, distribution manufacturing business and and everything everything you can think of. And one of the things I just find is the culture and environment of being within a professional sports organization. There's a, there's a competitive fun that kind of energizes me on a regular basis. You're listening to the Ed Epley Experience. Email Ed now with your questions for today's guest to podcast at theepleygroup.com. In his book, Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros, author Ed Epley breaks down key practices of professional management, how to implement them, and why it matters. Purchase your copy on Amazon.com today. Develop your competitive edge for the future while building a sustainable and thriving business. So what led you to get into sports, sports management? What, what was the genesis for all of that? Yeah, well, I, I you know, to some, I, some degree, I start like everybody else. I like sports, but that's, you know, we have to get way past that because uh, liking sports and having a successful career, you know, don't really go hand in hand. It, it's, a, you know, it's a good baseline to start with. I, I was playing college basketball and the quick story is both my parents were educators, teachers. I had no business background in my household ever. I never had a dinner discussion with my family about business. I was a junior in college and certainly in the 90s, resources were less. You know, I couldn't go online and research business the way you can now. I had no... Were you at OU? I was at Ohio when, U. When this was, yeah, huh? I was an undergrad. Yeah. I was playing on the basketball team. And so I was super dedicated to athletics and sports. You know, I was playing college basketball and I thought maybe I'll be a coach. I was intrigued with business, but was probably almost embarrassed by my lack of knowledge. I found out that there was a master's in sports administration program at Ohio U. Right. So the one fortunes of, the of one of the first. Yeah, one of the first, yeah. well respected. And so the fortunes of being a college athlete there and and getting introduced to that program. And I literally walked into that office and said, Hey, I've heard about this program. What how do you get into this thing? And they handed me a, an alumni booklet and said, here, you know, look through this. And I went back and I said, get an internship. And then, you know, you, you have to have one to apply. And so I got an internship that summer at the Cleveland Cavs. And I had my first exposure to getting dressed up and walking to an office and seeing what's going on there. And I was very curious. I, I, I met and talked to a lot of people just to say, what do you do and how do you do it? I came out of that three months thinking this is pretty cool and something I'd like to do. 
in hindsight, how accurate was the curriculum that you got for that master's in sports? Uh, did, did that really prepare you well, or was it just enough to give you credibility where you could <laughs> really pursue the career? Yeah, it's another good question. I, you know, I think, look, I'm a big fan of Ohio Sports Administration. I think it's come a long way. When I was there, I don't think the curriculum was set up for a whole lot of preparation. But what it was, was it was on your resume. And what they did a really good job of and still do today is is connecting graduates to the industry. So it's alumni connection. And that got me started. A guy named Jim Kaler, who was the chief marketing officer of the Cavs, uh, was an Ohio U Sports Ad alum. He hired me back to the Cavs. And then there we went. And I've stayed connected. And I hire a lot of people from the school. So that, that's what that, that program is all about. Well, and just a full disclosure, our daughter's a undergrad and uh, master's grad from Ohio U in uh, speech therapy. And we are huge fans of the school. It's a, it just did so much to help her with her career and, and uh, all the right things. Chad, do you talk a lot about teamwork with the team that you have and lead in, in the organization? Does that, I mean, I'm almost thinking like it's a foregone conclusion. You're going to work on that because of the world in which you, you operate, but maybe, maybe that's naive on my part. Well, it's one of my core principles of the culture of an office. There's absolutely no no doubt about it. I talk about it all the time. And it's, uh, I would say, if you talk to anybody on any of our teams, it, it's highlighted. We actually talk about, you know, what does it mean to be a good teammate? And uh, it's probably the one area, Ed, where no matter what someone's individual performance level is, if they can't be a good teammate, there's no place for them within our organization is how I feel about it. There's been times where we've had to address that with even some high performers. And I feel very strongly and certainly no one person's performing well enough to not be a good teammate. One of the things I've probably enjoyed about my career, because it was all I knew, was I had a leadership position my final two years on the basketball team at Ohio U. And I thought, okay, so I got a little feel for, you know, be a captain. What does that feel like to, you know, feel like you're a vocal leader? And then you get into business and you realize, you know, I have my my 12 people that I'm responsible for sitting here and, and that I hired and they're my team. And uh, so there was, there were so many similarities to me to what you could take from athletics into the business environment. And we hire on purpose, a lot of former athletes, because we think there's characteristics built from, you know, the ups and downs and challenges and adversity that comes with being an athlete goes really well in business and particularly the business of sports. The term destructive hero, does that resonate with you? Yeah. Seen it. I've seen it live. Have you ever had to fire somebody who was a destructive hero? Certainly have. Absolutely. A, you know, one comes right to mind. And another another scenario where I think we had a destructive hero that we addressed it. I mean, you know, smack right in the face, addressed it. I mean, it was like, you are so talented, but this is not going well. And there's a wave of destruction being left behind you awake. And I said, if it's not fixed, it, this will end. That person's one of my all-time, all-time star performers and leaders now. So we got that turned around. Really? Oh, yeah. They were oh, salvaged. Yeah. Wow. But we had to get to the point where we were on the brink. Uh, you know, when a, when a great performer doesn't understand that and you say, we're on the brink of ending this, they're in shock. You know, <laughs> hey, they, what do you mean? I'm performing so well. But I'm like, well, let me show you all the things that are destructive uh, that don't add up to your individual performance. Do you think that uh, destructive heroes have become that because they've never failed at anything, uh, that they've just enjoyed so much success that they 
start to believe their own hype or, or what, what, why do they become that? I think there's there's uh, some blind spot to the success, and I think sometimes there's just a a real lack of awareness is what I found in the in some of the destruction. I think sometimes, particularly if you're in the sales environment, people think, you know, it, it's all all that matters is the end result, and they they just kind of lose the fact that you know that's not. And some of it is that's the that's the as a leader manager, you know, what kind of culture did you establish? I've been in some over competitive cultures where that destructive leader would get praised and everybody would think it's great and nobody cares about, you know, all the other things that are happening. You know, one good tool in the toolbox that I've had is oftentimes the destructive performer um, wants to be a leader. So when you start to talk to that person about, well, the characteristics of a leader aren't being displayed, then you're not on your path. And so we need, we need to get this fixed. I, I also think to use a bit of a sports analogy, you know, uh, Magic Johnson tried to coach basketball and didn't last very long. And Larry Bird, you know, had a decent run, but, you know, struggled with that because their expectations of everybody else are that of what they thought of themselves. And you know, I've had plenty of conversations with people that say what you are willing to do and what you expect out of yourself actually cannot be expected out of everybody, especially if you're unique in you know, certain ways. It's just not everybody's going to be built that way. I sense you must have a mechanism by which you maintain a quality of personal life, despite the pace at which you run and and the pace at which your business runs. Because I, I, if you think about the pro sports world, that's when it's, when it's operating at its best, it's like every day something's going on somewhere. So for you to, to be able to disengage and not feel like you're screwing up by not doing something, there's always more work to do than time to do it. How do you not burn out? How do you keep some sense of normalcy in, in the world in which you live? Yeah, I, I, you know, and I've, I've probably not always handled that well. I think I'm probably at a pretty decent place with it today. Um, there's been times I can just look back on stretches of my career where the work uh, load and time spent was, you know, somewhat overwhelming. Yeah, like 45 hours a week, right? Yeah, and the, the thing that well, the, the, the thing that people don't, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm being very facetious yeah, well, when I, I say the that. The funny thing about that is you could call that office time. Well, then tack on four events that you, that you attend. I mean, one thing people don't understand about sports, you know, work in the arena business especially is. Uh, when you leave the arena at 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night because you had a game, you don't show up at noon the next day. You show up at eight and, you know, and then you have another one Thursday and another one Saturday. And and so so that's just there's a little bit of an understanding. That's what you're getting into today. The, the, one of the things I truly enjoy about my role today and, and I've talked to people about you can earn your way to a position where you get to decide on your own more. Today, with the, the the Jones family and my relationship with them and legends and my role with them, I really get up in the morning to decide what I'm working on, what what's what can have the greatest impact. Do I need to travel? Do I need to book a dinner for myself for with a client? You know, I you know, when you're growing up in your career, you 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 don't get as much choice in the matter. Some of that freedom of choice is nice and I, I can I can make sure if my son has a high school basketball game on a Tuesday night that I blocked it and I'm going to be there. So you, you get to do a little more of that as you get to a certain level, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you be giving to some young person who says, I think I want to go into pro sports? I'm, I'm going to ask a couple of different advice questions now. So, so what about somebody who says, I think this would be the coolest job in the world. What would you, what would you say? 
Well, I, I talked to a ton of people about that. I'm well-versed in answering this question because I've done it in real practice thousands of times. So, so a couple things. It's one of my favorite questions to answer for someone young. So first of all, I tell people just because you like sports, that's not enough because at some point you're going to be in a job within sports. If it's sales, service, accounting, whatever it may be. So you're going to sit at a desk every day and do whatever that is. When you're selling sports tickets, Ed, you're not at the game. You know, you're not watching practice. You're not, you know, just because you like sports and you think it's cool walking into the arena or stadium, that ends quick on your 78th cold call, you know, on a on a Tuesday afternoon. So And you haven't talked to anybody yeah, yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're at a below 1% success rate or connect rate. So you need to also like the idea of the business and the career that you're pursuing within sports. Sports isn't uh, an outer layer of excitement and fun and brand identity and a whole bunch of other really good things. But uh, you better make sure you like what you think you're approaching uh, to do. The next, I would say we talked about being competitive. I also talked to people about being likable. It's an interesting thing to talk about in business, just, just flat out likability. You know, why do people get chosen for the next job and the next job and the next job? You know, performance is certainly one. But somewhere along the way, someone took an interest in you, took a liking to you and said, hey, why don't you go talk to Ed over there? He might have something of interest. And so I, I talked to you about how to present themselves in a way where those good things uh, can start to happen. And by the way, being a great teammate is one of them. When I see someone that is treating others the way a great teammate does, I start to take notice of that. Those are the kind of people that I'm going to gravitate towards to help provide opportunities to. And another one is curiosity. You know, the days of, oh, no, just put my head down and work really hard and someone's going to notice. There's those, I don't know if there ever was a day where that was really the way it went, but those th that is certainly not the advice. The advice is go seek people out and ask questions and learn and, and don't be afraid to say, I don't know. And why, why do you guys do it that way? And how does that work? And, and those discussions lead to opportunities. So uh, there's a whole lot I could spend in a whole hour with you on, you know, young people's perspective on how to create this career. But those are a few quick nuggets. Good. All right. I appreciate you doing that. In the context of, you know, your development as a leader, uh, I, professionally, who's had the most impact? Who's cast the biggest shadow on the way you've approached leading others? Uh, my brother. Really? Yeah. Yep. My, my brother, Ryan, is two years older than me. So he had just a little head start on me getting into business. Just the two-year difference is I was constantly calling him when I was young saying, well, what'd you do here and how'd you do this? He started out in sales for an advertising agency. Then he became a manager of an office. Then he became the national sales manager for a for an ad, ad agency. And But the one thing that he taught me that that has is really answers your question, I'll give him the credit for encouraging me, is self-educate, is to constantly be learning and reading and seeking people information out. He's now a keynote speaker on leadership and other things, but he taught me that early on. And I read a, I read a book uh, that had an influence on me called Don't Fire Them, Fire Them Up by a guy named Frank Pacetta. Yeah. Do you know it, Ed? I, yeah. I actually know Frank. I, I've actually spent time with Frank. Sharp guy, good guy. Yeah. So that book, I was in my 20s when I read it, had a huge influence on me. I had a chance to meet Frank as well. I called him late, later on in my career. But so yeah, reading things and educating was has been huge for me. 
I hadn't heard of that book in, in probably 10 years. I'm so glad you brought it up. It is a, it is a wonderful book for leaders. Don't fire them, fire them up. And um, I think it's P-A-C-E-T-T-A, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. Yep. Of his name. Frank actually lived here in the Columbus area for a totally while. Totally did. That's exactly right. He was a Xerox guy. The story is the Xerox turnaround in Cleveland. And uh, Frank w- was in Columbus, correct? Yeah. All right. We always promise our audience, Chad, one idea that if somebody were to do this, that that you believe would help them more likely run a, a truly successful and sustainable business. So if there's if there's one piece of advice, a, a owner, a president, business exec who would be listening to, uh, I have a I have a small but disturbed following that listen to this podcast. So for their benefit, what what would that advice be? Yeah. So I have one. It's something I put into practice for most of my leadership career, which is, uh, which is having coffee with my employees. And, and really what that means in practice is probably three days a week, I meet an employee in the morning outside of the office for a cup of coffee. And those go from 30, 30 minutes to an hour. All the people that work for me know all they have to do is, is email my admin and it gets populated on the calendar. And those coffee conversations are mostly not about work. They can be. They're really, they're non-agenda coffee sessions. And and what happens is certainly there's relationship building going on. I'm learning about people, certainly learning about what's going on in our business, probably in ways I, I never could. And I'm just connecting. It makes me feel very connected to our people. I've gotten to the point, I've thought about it enough where I actually think out, you know, getting away from the office, uh, there's no computers, no nothing distracting you, and not having an agenda. No one's coming to that with the anxiety of I have to give a report or I have to go over numbers. And you know, I've just developed some phenomenal relationships. I, I at the end of the day, I think it's all about the people. If you're the leader who is not connecting with the people, I don't know how you can truly be effective. That's my little tidbit of a real simple thing that. Uh, what I find, Ed, when I talk to people about it is it's just a time commitment and all leaders are like, oh, I don't have enough time for three hours a day. And, I, you know, I, I, I say to leaders, other leaders, I say, well, that is your job. Yeah. You know, your actual yeah. job is to connect with your people. So I feel pretty passionately about that. Dale Carnegie said, become genuinely interested in others. And uh, that's exactly what you're doing with that, uh, that coffee meeting that you have. It's, it's a great great tool. And one that if you're not doing it, that probably could pay huge dividends if you were to make it a discipline. He's Chad Estes. He's the EVP of Legends Sports and Entertainment out of Dallas. He's an OU Bobcat, somebody I like to call a friend now in in my life. And and, and he's certainly talented. Chad, if somebody wants to reach you, what's the best way to reach out and they got a question or want to ask you about professional management and leadership? Yeah, I'll, I'll provide my email address. Uh, I'll give you my Cowboys inbox. It's cestis, it's E-S-T-I-S at dallascowboys.net. Feel free to pop me an email. No, Nobody that's an Eagles fan is allowed to email <laughs> me. That's my only rule. If you want to know more about Ed Epley or uh, get my book, Let's Be Clear, you can reach me at theepleygroup.com. Glad to take questions and try to help if I can there. Uh, Thank you, Chad, for joining us. I know our audience has gotten a lot from it and always the best to you. Thanks, Ed. I really enjoyed it. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the 
Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 